Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. Give them a buzz at 865-299-2290. That's Blue Water Climate Control. Remember, they're going to take care of whatever need you have, whether it's a repair, whether you need a new system, whether you need your system just evaluated and checked out. They're going to take care of you. You can read all the reviews and see what they're all about. And it's pretty simple. Unlike other companies who try to fix things, they fix it the right way the first time with the right people. That's Blue Water Climate Control. Mention VolQuest and they'll take care of you as well as a form of appreciation to all the VolQuest listeners out there who have uh, been so supportive of Blue Water Climate Control. So be sure to check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. With Austin Price, and glad to have along with us on this Tuesday edition of the podcast, Ben McKee. Rob Lewis is uh, off with his family, spending some time, enjoying a little getaway and Ben is uh, hopping on with us here to talk some Tennessee baseball, some Tennessee football recruiting, plenty of other stuff to get in in the world of college athletics as well. Let's start with recruiting Austin. Tennessee takes a commitment on Monday uh, from a guy everybody had on the top of their board, right, AP? <laughs> oh, hubs. Welcome to, um, no, I'm not knocking the kid. I mean, and that's I'm, I'm leading in that way for for a particular reason. Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, like there's going to be, a, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that this kid's a you know all world player, you know, but nobody knows. I mean, he's played one year of football, um, has did did enough in that one year on the field to get offered by BYU, get offered by Maryland, to get offered by Tennessee, um, a few other schools. So. You know, obviously he's he's done enough to be at least you know showing some promise what can he do when he comes to camp you know at this you know handful of schools how does that change things you know does he go camp you know i know he's planning on coming up to tennessee next month but does he go camp anywhere else that's what i'm kind of interested to see because like he's the kind of player size wise that could end up getting more and more traction you know i mean you know you saw that you know last year with a handful of prospects I think, you know, the last two years you've seen because of COVID, things just dramatically change for a lot of kids. And there'll be kids all over college football the next few years that end up playing at smaller levels that maybe probably would have ended up somewhere bigger out of the gate. But because of the fact they couldn't visit, they couldn't camp, all that stuff, and they kind of stayed hidden. Um, and because of the one-time transfer rule, they'll end up moving on up to something better pretty quick. But, you know – on the whole, I think that, you know, you, you, I said a ball quester text me on Monday. Why would they take this kid? They could have got this kid in January. And my response is, is because, like, let's say you don't take him, and a month from now he camps, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 more offers. All of a sudden, then you're in a bigger, bigger fight. And, you know, if you if you over-recruit him and you, and you, you know, get to January and you, you, you've got – better players on the line you can always move on i mean like there to me like this is a you 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 don't lose by taking this kid right now i really don't believe that well i mean brian grant six foot seven six foot eight 275 pounds with some athletic ability he's raw as can be i think yeah i think we all understand that but and ben i want to jump on here as well would you look at this tennessee offense and you try to project next year, the year after, as you're doing recruiting, you're trying to project a couple of years down the line. You always got to take a quarterback. So let's take quarterback out of the equation. When you look at positions of need on offense, is offensive tackle not the 
is it not at the top of the list in terms of needs for Josh Heupel's program for the next couple of years? Absolutely, especially when you want to to pair somebody who is going to to protect Taven Jackson's blind side. That that's of the utmost importance. It's it's why you see tackles drafted so high in the NFL draft every year. I, I don't even know that it's just roster specific with with Tennessee because they have so many holes. I just think it's important for for any program to make sure that they have the future of the tackle position in their program locked down. And uh, the the position is kind of blurry as it is right now, given the the upcoming season, much less the the upcoming seasons uh, in 2022 and, and beyond. So uh, I, I think it's a, a real nice pickup for, for Tennessee in, in the sense of you're getting in on him early, as Austin alluded to. Uh, you don't want to try to fight from behind if some other big schools come in and, and offer. So I, I think it's a, a nice pickup and, an important one because the position, you don't really know what you have moving forward after this year. Uh, you have Dane Davis, but uh, outside of that, do you move Darnell Wright back over to left tackle? So uh, it's definitely a, a position of need, and it'll be I'll be curious to see how many offensive tackles Tennessee tries to bring in this cycle just to, to try and make sure that that position is is locked down and not something they have to worry about when, when you're bringing in a top quarterback like Taven Jackson. Well, to me, the biggest thing, the big, the, the big, the thing we're not even talking about here, you're taking four or five offenses. Right, that's line. where I was going. So, I mean, like, you know, you, you're not going to take – Tennessee is in no position as a program that they're going to land, you know, five blue-chip players. Now, they may land a couple of really good players on the offensive line. They're in on a few, okay? But they're not going to land every guy. So, why you – know, if you're going to take a – you know, you know, if you're going to take a project or a kind of a raw kid, like, you know, this one don't hurt you. Now, with the rest of your spots, you need to be a factor for Mo Clipper. You need to be a factor for Addison Nichols. At the end of the day, this recruiting class, I said this on the board when I was trying to debate T. Campbell 44. Um, you know, the, the, this, this class, once Tennessee made the decision, they went down with the investigation and, and you know, changing administrations and changing coaches and all that. Th- this recruiting class was never going to be phenomenal just because like the, the cloud that's over the program. And, you know, you've got to find a way to land the guys that you're in the mix heavily for like Cam Miller, or you have natural ties to like Addison Nichols. Like you add those type of players and those are rival rivals, two fifty, you know, you know, top guys. Then all of a sudden you start marrying them with some other solid players that you feel like you can coach up and, and develop, then this, you know, this recruiting class isn't as bad as, as everybody wants to let on. Well, and I think when you talk specifically about the offensive line, Mo Clipper, which is, is obviously one for Tennessee to have to, I mean, that, you know, that I'm not saying they're going to get him. I'm not saying it's an utter pipe dream. He's been on campus, but look, that's a dog fight, right? Addison Nichols, you've got ties to, We'll see what happens with Fisher Anderson. I don't think that's the layup. Some people want to think that it is because he's an in-state player. And then they make the final five for Brubaker. Okay. So there's, I mean, that's pretty, some pretty good guys on, on the wish list. I mean, Brubaker is a big time player. Clipper and Addison Nichols are all blue chip guys, you know, and then you throw in Fisher well, I mean, Anderson, right? Yeah. I mean, Clipper, Clipper's the lowest ranked of the four. You know, and, and he's got Alabama and several other big-time offers. When you look at, you know, I mean, Fisher Anderson's a top 250 guy. So is 
Nichols. Nichols is top one hundred and fifty, and and so is uh, and so is Brubaker. I mean, like you know, Tennessee's in on some really solid offensive linemen. Are they going to get them all? No. But if you get two, let's say you get two to go along with you know, you know, Brian Grant. There's three tackles because most of those guys are tackles. I mean, Fisher Anderson's a tackle. Brubaker's a tackle. Addison Nichols is a tackle. Then you add a couple of guards. It's three tackles. You add a guard in the center or two guards with one that can play center. Like, you know, it, that, that offensive line hall is not that bad. So, again, the, the notion that Tennessee can just recruit as if they're this tradition-rich blue blood, it's just it, – it's not true. Like, it, it just doesn't work that way. Like, Tennessee ain't the cool school for the kids. Like, so much of, you know, recruiting is the, being, being a, a, the cool school. And right now, like, what if you, I can I can honestly say if I was a kid, I'd really have. I mean, even being you know a guy that went to Tennessee, I'd have real reservations about things because you things you don't know, you don't know these kids don't know these parents don't know, and and right now they don't you know they're all they're hearing from all these other schools is Tennessee's gonna get hammered this and that and 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 so in Tennessee saying well, you know we're not sure what we're gonna get but we don't think it's gonna be that bad. But you can't specifically say what it's going to be. So if you're one of those players or those parents, are you letting your kid or are you, you know, you making the decision for yourself to go to a school that, you know, can't accurately tell you what the next four years is going to hold? Is it going to be a one-year bowl ban, three-year bowl ban? What's it going to be? I mean, like no one knows. And so, you know, until Tennessee can get an answer on that, it's going to continue to get used against them. Ben, you've talked to a bunch of recruits. What, what would you? How would you describe? what they think of Tennessee at this point and how big is the NCAA stuff you think out there that's I, hanging out there? I, I think it's pretty significant. I, I've had two or three kids just flat out say that the NCAA stuff concerns them just because they don't know how it's going to affect them personally. And, and because of that, Tennessee is going to have to take some chances on some guys to, to Austin's point. Tennessee's not going to be able, be able to stockpile a class of 20 to 22 uh, assuming that they leave some spots open for some transfers everybody's not going to be a four-star or or a five-star like some of these other established programs in the sec that tennessee is competing against then it's a result of where tennessee has fallen and, and where tennessee is as josh hype takes over with a ncaa investigation hanging over his head he's, he's going to have to go somewhat of the rick barnes route and find some diamonds in the rough and and develop them and and once your Grant Williams or your Admiral Schofields and Jordan Bowdens, once they kind of show out uh, and outplay their recruiting ranking, then Josh Heupel and Glenn Ellerby will be able to, to dip in and, and land those bigger names along the offensive line. And that's not to say that Tennessee's not going to bring in uh, any prospects with, with bigger profiles. Also went through the names and mentioned the guys who have significant offers and are ranked much higher, but they're going to have to take some chances on some guys because they're just not in a spot to where they can just load up on a class full of four and five stars. Yeah, well, I mean, go ahead, Brent, Austin. Brent, look at it this way. Like, Eric Kane, he talked to Ryan Bayer on Monday. And Ryan Bayer, uh, according to Kane, uh, and we'll have a story coming out here in the next couple of days, quote, says a lot of people are scared off by Tennessee and the potential punishments that are coming. But he says Tennessee doesn't shy away from it. And his interest is still very real in Tennessee. So, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you know, all these kids talk. And so, are you being recruited by Tennessee? Yeah, are you? Yeah. 
what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Somebody said it was going to be really bad. Yeah, I heard that too. You don't think that has an effect on kids? I mean, I, I know for a fact it does. So, like, this whole notion, again, that Tennessee can just, you know, go out there and fly the flag and everybody goes, hey, it's 1998 or, or 2008 for that matter. Like, it just it, – it's not that way anymore. Like, it just is not. And so, you know, there's more parity in college football. On the whole, I get that the same four teams keep making the playoffs, but as far as, like, teams that traditionally don't win – are more of a factor now as far as getting to nine wins or eight wins than they ever have been before. And so, like, you, you've got to find a way to make it cool. You've got to find a way to have some juice. And, and right now, Tennessee has done that to a degree, Brent, with the fact that, like, they've been able to pick up five high school kids' commitments in the last month, uh, starting with Elijah Herring. They've added a handful of transfers in the last month, including a quarterback. So, you know, they've got a little more juice now than they did a month ago when it was really, really stale and stagnant. Um, you know, but at the same time, until they get an answer on all this, I don't think it's – I think it's going to be really hard for them to get a, a lot of juice in recruiting because of the uncertainty. Well, and I think that goes back to what you guys were saying too. I mean, the, the, the key to this class and the key really to the first couple of classes for Tennessee is going to center around their evaluation. They've got to evaluate better than some other schools and get in on some kids before they, they blow up or get in on some kids that are under-recruited as Ben, you were talking about with the Grant Williams and Schofield and, and those guys as well. They're guys that develop and, and become players who outperform their, their recruiting rankings. I think that's well stated. And I think you're absolutely right. We're seeing Tennessee be much more active in the, um, in the 23 and 24 class. I mean, we, we saw, Ben, we saw today, if you, you know, if you're following them on Twitter, I mean, Tennessee's throwing out quite a few offers. Clearly they're going to be behind, be behind in the 22 class. We all knew that they're trying to play catch up where they can, but they're clearly working really hard to try to not be, you know, way behind in the 23, 24 class as we've seen them out on the recruiting trail with quite a few offers. And, I'm not saying they're not focused on 22, but they're, they're trying to make a lot of hay in 23. It looks like. As, as they should. And it, and it seems like they're really trying to, to reach out into the States that border Tennessee seems like a lot of offers going out to the Carolinas and uh, Georgia, uh, a quarterback from Tuscaloosa was, was offered earlier this week, which I found pretty uh, unique. So uh, they're, they're definitely trying to, to dive in and, and establish those relationships. Recruiting is all about relationships and, uh, it's hurt Tennessee this recruiting cycle post Jeremy Pruitt with with guys like Sam Horn. Uh, where where would Sam Horn be right now if, if Tennessee uh, and this current coaching staff had several months up to a year to to recruit him and develop a relationship with him? Maybe he's not committed to Missouri. Uh, so they, they have to get out and offer these scholarships and. Uh, they're, they're doing it with the 2024 class as well, offering Boo Carter down in, in Chattanooga, uh, an athlete earlier this week. So uh, they're, they're definitely trying to, to lay the groundwork as they should. They're, they're so far behind the eight ball in, in so many different ways that it's critical that they try to, to make sure that they uncover every possible stone. That way they're not facing these same, um, you know, walls in front of them these next two recruiting cycles because uh, they're already set back by the NCAA stuff and uh, anything further that can set them back who, who knows what that would do for recruiting and, and trying to make up for 
uh, the roster attrition that took place this offseason. All right, Austin, you mentioned transfers earlier. I- I'm surprised that Tennessee has not done anything with a defensive back in the transfer portal. Um, is there going to be any more additions, whether it's a, a high school kid or, or a late signee from somewhere or, or, a, or a transfer? Do you, do you think Tennessee, I know you mentioned two potential names um, in the war room on Friday of potential t- d- defensive backs. I'm not saying they're definitely going to get one, but if there is another transfer, do you think that's where it falls into? Is it somebody in the secondary? Well, the kid from SEMO went to Auburn and the other kid, I, I'm not sure Tennessee's, you know, I don't think Tennessee's decided to go down that road, uh, but I do see him adding somebody, and I do see him adding somebody in the secondary. I would 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 bet a lot of money on Tennessee adding someone in the secondary, um, probably sooner rather than later. Feels like they so, just need a corner to me. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like they need a corner more than anything else. When you look at what potentially, I mean, if you're going to take another transfer, uh, to me, that's the position of biggest of biggest need. I mean, I guess if an offensive tackle was out there, that you could go there, but but I just don't think they've got enough depth at the corner position. Am I wrong here? No, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think they're void of talent at the corner position. I just don't think they have any depth. And so, you know, I think that that's why they'll, they'll likely, you know, look to, to add somebody, you know, in the not so distant future. But you believe it's still pretty, pretty strongly that it's not going to be a one for one guy. If they take another guy, it's going to be a, a guy, somebody who has multiple years of eligibility left. Yeah, that was like the, the kid, the kid from Southeast Missouri State, or uh, whatever, from Semo. Um, you know, he that was the problem with him. Like Tennessee liked him a lot, but you know, he was a one for one. You know, he he was going to be here for a matter of months, and Tennessee's already done that with Javante Payton, um, and then Caleb Tremblay. So you know, I don't think they really want to go that route. I think they'd like to have somebody that's going to be here for at least a couple of years, and you know, can help the the you know the program a little bit more long-term than just the kind of in the short term. So, yeah, I think if Tennessee goes that route, it'll be somebody, you know, um, that, that can have two, three years left. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, uh, the current team, many of those guys are away, starting to trickle back into town and, and get ready to start things on June 1st. And, of course, the recruiting cycle opens up on June 1st with camps and unofficial visits and visits and, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how many guys Tennessee can get on campus in the month of June and a non-official visit capacity and then how many official visits they elect to use as well. Speaking of the rest of this month and the month of June, Ben, Tennessee's hoping to be playing baseball for a while uh, through into the month of June if things go well. Um, let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little baseball here. And, and before we set the stage for the, the final weekend, uh, I know you've had a couple podcasts, you've mentioned it a couple times, but as you kind of reflected back on, on Sunday night and Monday, what do you take away from the weekend series against Arkansas from the Tennessee perspective? What's your big takeaway from that series? That Tennessee can legitimately win a national championship. I, I, I know that may be extreme, but I, I think this weekend finally validated that to me. I had kind of been questioning – uh, Tennessee's top five ranking all season, not in the sense of whether they were a good baseball team or not. They're, they're a great baseball team. They just don't have the the talent of a, a fourth best team in the country or, you know, fifth best team in the country, but they just find ways to win and, and they have enough talent and you pair that talent uh, with the will to win. And, and they just simply find a way to get the job done. Tennessee had no business 
nearly winning that series this weekend against number one Arkansas. I think Arkansas is the best team in the country. Uh, they hit the ball well. Uh, they they pitch. They, they have arms out of the bullpen. The best reliever in college baseball, as we saw this weekend. And statistically, they're the best defense in the SEC. So they, they check all three boxes, and they have the coaching experience, Dave Van Horn, having done it before. So, uh, and Connor Pavelloni put it, put it pretty bluntly after the final game of the series that Tennessee had Arkansas on the ropes three straight days, had, had Arkansas worried three straight days. So I think we learned this weekend, I know it's a, a big takeaway, but I, I do think we learned this weekend that Tennessee uh, is capable of competing with anybody and beating anybody in the country, as we've seen throughout the season. But I, I just think Arkansas was a little more validation for me personally now that we've seen them beat a number two Vandy, a, a number one Arkansas, and, and go toe-to-toe for three straight games. I mean, a couple breaks go Tennessee's way, and, and they win that series. So I think I learned this weekend that Tennessee can definitely uh, win a national championship if, if the chips fall in their favor. Is, is that validation – I mean, you, you knew this team was competitive. You knew this team, you know, didn't fear much. They found ways to win. Is the validation more from what Will Heflin did on Saturday and what Tidwell did on Sunday to say, hey, you know what, this, this team's more than a really good Friday, a really effective Friday night starter in Chad Dallas, a really talented guy who's inconsistent on Sunday and in a piecemeal kind of bullpen pitching deal on Saturday. Is, is it because of what they did with the starting pitching on Saturday and Sunday for you? That's part of it. Uh, Blake Tidwell has really come on these last couple of weeks, and he delivered his best performance of the season on, on Sunday, especially when you look at the team that he was facing. Again, I think Arkansas has the best lineup in, in the SEC, and if if you have the best of something in the SEC, then you probably have that that – best thing in the entire country as well so I would put Arkansas starting lineup against anybody's anybody's starting lineup in the country and, and Blake Tidwell absolutely dominated there in the middle innings did re- receive some help early in the game on that Jordan Beck uh, throw to home plate that got the runner out Tennessee had runners on second and third until or Arkansas had runners on second and third until that double play and then Evan Russell made that very nice catch along the bullpen wall uh, to get Tennessee out of the second inning. But after that, Blake Tidwell really settled in and, and dominated those middle innings and I believe retired 13 straight batters, set a career high with eight strikeouts. So uh, Blake Tidwell's really progressed here of late, and, and he has the stuff to be a, a first-round guy here after next season. He's he's a little older for his class, so he'll be draft eligible as a sophomore, and he won't pitch more than two years at Tennessee un, unless an injury pops up. And, and you really started to see him develop his off-speed stuff and his breaking ball to go to go along with that electric fastball, and, and it's really getting him through games. And uh, so that's that's part of it, the pitching. But I also think you're, you're starting to see some hitters that were expected to have a big season finally live up to those expectations. Max Ferguson was slumping at the beginning of the season, and the last five weeks he's been tremendous. Uh, Connor Pavelloni coming back from the wrist, it, it did not seem like he had really missed any games due to – to that injury he came in and hit the ball hard and and what felt like each of his at bats this weekend so part of it's the progression of the offense as well I think uh, the offense coming along provides a a pitching staff that depth concerns me especially in in postseason format Um, but it seems to me like the lineup is going to give that pitching staff a little bit more of a cushion uh, as they go into postseason play they got enough in the bullpen 
That's my biggest concern. Um, okay. And for it for a weekend series, yes, but for an SEC tournament, when you're playing on a Wednesday, it, and that's if you get one of the top four seeds. If you don't get a top four seed, then you start on Tuesday, and if you win the whole thing, you're you're playing on Sunday. I don't think Tennessee has enough out of the bullpen to last them from Tuesday to Sunday or even Wednesday to Sunday unless some guys really step here, step up over the next week or so. Uh, and, and for a regional, if they lose that first game, I think you could see the depth with the bullpen really be a concern as, as well and, and maybe bite them in the butt. Uh, Super regional, more of the traditional in-season series because it's two out of three. But then you go back to to the postseason format of having to play Lord knows how many games at the College World Series. And, and that's when I think the depth is really going to to to, to either show as a weakness or you're going to see some guys step up. So it, it kind of depends on the weekend with, with the current format of the regular season. I think they have enough uh, to get through a, a three game series. But SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, when when you're playing game after game after game and, and you're having to rely on some arms that don't pitch near as much as they do in the postseason as they do in the regular season, that, that's when it gets concerning to me. All right, so what we've learned is they can win the national championship, but they can't <laughs> win the SEC championship. Well, and that yeah. may be the case with the way the format falls. That may sound crazy to some people, but you don't go to Omaha and play five straight days, four straight Omaha, days. Omaha, Omaha. You know, <laughs> and and that's, the, that's the unique thing of the SEC tournament. The other unique thing is – you know, you're talking about Tennessee can still win the SEC East. They said they could also be a fifth seed and, and not get that and not get that first day by Ben. I mean, that that's that tells you leave what the to S- hubs. leave it to hubs to go Debbie Downer. No, no, I mean, my no, I started Lord it to be hubs. fair. No, it's I'm not. I'm just saying that's the that's the level of competition you're dealing with in the SEC. I mean, you go get swept against South Carolina and you might be playing that first night in the SEC tournament. Right, Ben? Mm hmm. Is that? I mean, is that not yep, right? Yep, that that's what it's looking like. No, you're, you're spot on there. It's unlikely that Tennessee starts playing on that Tuesday, but it is a possibility. And South Carolina isn't a team to just overlook. They're a top twenty, top twenty-five team. They're plenty capable uh, of sweeping Tennessee. I, I don't think that will happen. It would surprise me if that happened. But South Carolina looked good this past weekend as as they swept Kentucky. And if if Tennessee doesn't bounce back and and get over. Uh, the mental hurdle, or, or not the mental hurdle, but uh, get over what was such an emotional weekend this this weekend against Arkansas. South Carolina could definitely beat them, uh, so it's definitely a possibility, uh, not a not a likely one, but a possibility. And to your point about the format, uh, Brent, there's several SEC coaches who who don't really play to win the SEC tournament because they don't want to sacrifice. Uh, the NCAA tournament, the regional, the next weekend. They they want to keep their pitching staff kind of the way that it is throughout the regular season and, and make sure that it's set up for the postseason. So you've seen comments from Tim Corbin, uh, Dave Van Horn in the past to where they've just flat out said that they, they care more about winning the regional than the SEC tournament, and and that's how they'll they'll go about deploying their pitchers. Yeah, well, and Tennessee's got plenty to play for coming up this weekend. Obviously, they still got an Eastern division uh, you know, top billing or Eastern Division title, if you will, certainly playing for seeding in the SEC tournament, uh, continue to play for their, you know, potential super regional. Uh, all of those things are, are out in front of this Tennessee baseball team coming up this weekend. As we wrap it up, I'm going to ask this question to you, Ben. You, you, you've covered that program um, for, for a couple of years, and, and I know you know some people in and around the program. 
But wh- why has Tony Vitello been the right fit? What, why has it worked at, at, at Tennessee? I mean, Tennessee tried it. You know, they tried a bunch of different guys. I mean, I thought when Dave Serrano was hired, that was the home run hire because he knew Tennessee. Um, obviously, you, you know, much like in recruiting and taking a, a Brian Grant, you hope that your um, you hope that your your recruit outplays his ranking when you hire an assistant coach who's a head coach for the first time you you hope that he outplays kind of his growth on the job so to speak what why why is why has tony vitello worked at tennessee so well so quickly i think the two main things are that he's a grinder and that he's a recruiter in this league and you're gonna have the talent to not only compete but to win games they've they've gone out and got Jordan Beck who is a 14th round pick by the Boston Red Sox a guy who has a good chance of being a top three round guy in, in his upcoming draft after his junior year he he was a guy that could have gone pretty much anywhere in the country and Tony Vitello was able to pluck him out of North Alabama they're able to go get Drew Gilbert who decommitted from Oregon State the the offseason after they win a national championship because of a, a coaching change. They're able to go get Drew Gilbert. Uh, they're able to go get Alric Solari over Arkansas out of JUCO and, and Garrett Crochet. They're able to find Garrett Crochet, who was unrecruited out of Mississippi. Texas tried to get in late, but Tennessee was in, in there from, from the jump and was able to land him. So it, it's been recruiting and a grind that Tony Vitello talked about last week that it's kind of been hard to come up for air at times. And he's wondered if he's had a life outside of baseball. Um, but that was the only way that Tennessee was going to get get to the point that it is now um, because they were so far behind the eight ball. And in a way, facilities-wise, they're still behind the eight ball, but they're they're able to overcome that because of the grind and – that's been now reflected in the players. They have a, a, a group of, of guys who just work all the time and uh, put in a ton of effort and time into the craft. And it's reflective of the head man in charge. It, it truly starts from the top and, and kind of fizzles out through, through the bottom of that program. And uh, they, they take on the personality of their head coach. So I would say that he's a grinder, he's a recruiter, and he's genuine as well. The, the Tony Vitello that you see fired up with Dave Van Horn uh, after the game is is the Tony Vitello that has attacked this Tennessee baseball program for the last four years. And on a lesser note, just the the, the jokes that he likes to, to throw out during media availabilities and um, just the person that he comes off as in front of the cameras, that's who he is behind the scenes and, and the players and, and recruits and parents, everybody just loves him. So uh, the fact that he's genuine, that he, that he grinds, and, and that he's an ace recruiter, I think a mixture of those three things is, is why he's been able to get Tennessee baseball to this point. Well, he could be the mayor of the city of Knoxville, Knox County, and he might have a chance to win uh, or get some votes to be the governor in the state of Tennessee with where he's got this Tennessee baseball team at right now. South Carolina coming up this weekend. We'll have a full preview of that. Of course, we have the Mailbag podcast coming up on Thursday as well. Plenty of recruiting coverage coming up throughout the week here at VolQuest.com. That's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. For Austin Price and Ben McKee, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.